As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We interrupt this broadcast before it was history. It was news. It appears as though something has happened in the motor. I said, those are shots. Man on the moon. We copy it down, Eagle. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. I'm Bill Curtis. It's been said that breaking news becomes the first draft of history. What's overlooked is how deeply we relied on broadcast journalists who met the adrenalized demands of those moments, often with courage and daring. Broadcast journalism has a simple, sober purpose, to keep the public informed through the best and worst of times. But the consequence of that labor is profound. As legendary newsman Walter Cronkite wrote, the free press is the central nervous system of a democratic society. No true democracy can exist without it. History has borne out that wisdom. But before it was history, it was news. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Election night 2000 was the biggest political story I had ever covered. What's the key element we should be watching for throughout the day tomorrow? Florida, Florida, Florida. A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. This Fullerton, Florida pulled back into the undecided column. This is a state both campaigns desperately wanted to win. It was the craziest election night ever. We have never, never seen anything like this before. We were all shell-shocked. Because now we've changed our minds twice. And until the recount is concluded and the results of Florida become official, our campaign continues. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, George W. Bush. I'm Brian Williams. It was the election that refused to end on November 7th, 2000, and Bush versus Gore quickly became the biggest media debacle since Dewey defeats Truman. Tim Russer was Washington bureau chief and senior vice president at NBC News. Election night 2000 was the biggest political story I had ever covered, the biggest story until September 11th, 2001. But make no mistake about it, it was an extraordinary night. 
It played out until the next morning. It played out for the next month until we had decided who our next president was going to be. There was nothing quite like it. Beth O'Connell, the producer of special programming at NBC News, oversaw the planning of the network's election night coverage. It takes well over a year to get all of the moving parts together for Decision 2000, as we called it, because it was also, remember, it was the first election after a millennium. I mean, there was so many news events that had transpired, and it's well over a year ahead of time of assigning correspondence to the candidates as, as they emerge, to covering the candidates on a daily basis and um, supporting the shows, but also then having the creative aspect, which is very labor intensive, of creating a graphics package, headshots of every single candidate, you know, having them sized and approving all of those. And, you know, fortunately for us, we had no music more beautiful than John Williams that was always at our disposal. And also we decided at that point too that we had the most beautiful set in the world. You know, Rockefeller Plaza is our home. So we dress the plaza with American flags. And so it's right down to those little details that just make such a nice difference. Marcy McGinnis was senior vice president of news coverage for CBS News. Election night is very different than breaking news. You know what you need. You can make a list. (laughs) You know, you have meetings to discuss who's going to be in charge of the studio setup. How much money do we have? Which studio are we going to use? Would it cost more to, to build a whole new set in a new studio? Or should we use the evening news set and expand upon it? Do we want to put the decision desk in the studio or do we want to put it in a separate room? Some organizations do that. They separate their decision desk out of the studio. We didn't. We kept our decision desk in the studio, but we had rules of who was allowed to go over and talk to the decision desk about what was going on. At NBC, our decision desk is in splendid isolation from the rest of us. They were in a room and after a certain point, no one was allowed to go in the room. You know, we had backup for people helping them with house races. And but in terms of the presidential, especially because remember, it's a rolling event. It's you're not just reporting what states the candidates are winning for the presidency. You're also reporting Hillary Clinton is now a senator from New York. And what's the breakdown of the House of Representatives? They ring a bell or the chime. It was the NBC chime when they were going to make a call. So that was one of my prime responsibilities was listening for those calls while we were in continuing coverage because Tom may have been talking to a correspondent or, you know, so we needed to pull back and I needed to make the whole control room aware. So then we would hear the decision desk. They would tell us what the call is and we would try to report it as quickly as we could. The pre-election polling was tight. This would not be a landslide election for either candidate. That much we knew. In fact, all indications were that it would come down to the battleground states of Ohio, Michigan, and Florida, where Bush's brother Jeb was the governor. Bill Schneider was senior political analyst for CNN. I was in charge of polling, and we kept finding week after week when we did a poll that one week Gore was a little bit ahead, two points or something. The next week Bush was a little bit ahead, and it would move back and forth and back and forth. But the electorate, the voters, were not deeply divided. They were satisfied with the Clinton record. This was at a time, at the time of the dot-com boom. So they were happy with Clinton's record. 
And a lot of people wanted to keep that record going, so they were voting for Al Gore. But at the same time, they were dissatisfied with Clinton's behavior in office. They had gone through the entire Monica Lewinsky affair, and a lot of voters thought it was time to change leadership without necessarily changing policy. So what we found for week after week in the pre-election day polling was that the voters were sloshing back and forth and back and forth. One week, Bush would be two points ahead. The next week, Gore would be two points ahead because there were an awful lot of people who said, and we actually heard this, they said, I could vote for either one of them. It doesn't matter that much. And that's why the election started out so very close. That election was my first planning news coverage leading up to the election. It was obvious it was going to be close. We all knew that. This is David Bernkopf, CNN political news producer. We couldn't have seen how crazy it would be and how long it would go on. And I went into a long discussion about how we're going to have to start moving people into Florida because Florida looks like the one really, really neck and neck state and the one that may determine who wins the election. Somehow, again, you just sort of have a news instinct and you're looking at polling information. And so I think we were pretty prepared for Florida to be a long night. We weren't prepared for it to be at the Supreme Court, but we were prepared for it to be a long night. The Monday before the election, I was on the Today program and Matt Lauer said, What's the key element we should be watching for throughout the day tomorrow? Florida, Florida, Florida. I honestly believe, Matt, as goes Florida, we'll go the nation. And I said that because I thought the state of Florida had changed significantly over the last several presidential election cycles. It had voted Democratic, then it switched to Republican. And now I thought the changing demographics in the state were almost a microcosm of the rest of the country. How would black Americans living in Florida vote? Would they vote? How would Spanish-speaking Americans vote? And what, with what intensity? How would moderate Democrats, centrist Democrats vote? And with what intensity? And all those factors came together. I was remembering how prophetic Mr. Brokaw was. We did a cold open before we rolled the big open, and his words were, stay with us, we're about to take you on an exciting and bumpy ride. And, you know, he couldn't have been more profound in that. And fortunately for us, again, we had Tim preparing us for that because he had such a great grasp on all the potential scenarios. As millions of Americans headed to the polls on Election Day 2000, TV networks conducted their own exit polls, hoping to get an early indication of the eventual winner. What pollsters have learned is that different groups of demographic people vote at different times of the day. So if you only polled in the morning, you would get people going to work, a commuter group. If you poll only in the afternoon, you might get people who weren't working, seniors, people who are staying at home to take care of kids. And if you polled only in the evening, you would get people who worked shift work and were coming home early and they were like sort of the end. So you wouldn't get a real cross-section of people unless you did generally three waves of polling. So when you're at a network, you will get the early polling wave results maybe midday. 
And it's really unreliable. And it's more for gossip than for anything else. People will say, oh, you know, Gore's doing really good in Ohio, but Bush is doing really good in New York. And that's a surprise. But you know, if you know anything about the polling and if you've read the materials that that the special events people have put out and the polling people have put out and the meetings I've been running, you know that those first wave and even second wave of polling doesn't do more than give you the barest sense of where the day is going to end up. What we have found over the previous presidential elections is that the computer models are generally right. In fact, almost always right. But when they're wrong, they are very wrong. And it is what we're remembered for. And that's that I understand that. Then when you've got your third wave of polling and your pollster has had a chance to really crunch the numbers, then you start to have a decent view of the way that election is going. Then what you want to do is look at some early key precincts that have historically given you accurate results about where the election is going to be. And when you get enough of those key precincts that line up with your exit polling, then your decision desk says, okay, we're ready to call Florida. By 8 p.m. Eastern time, the networks and cable news channels were projecting a razor-thin 121 to 119 electoral vote lead for George Bush. Then came the first bombshell of the night. Anchoring for CNN were Bernard Shaw, Judy Woodruff, Jeff Greenfield, and Bill Schneider. A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. This is a state both campaigns desperately wanted to win. We began to receive phone calls from the Bush campaign, from the Gore campaign, from people on the ground in Florida, all suggesting this thing is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So then the projection for Gore was pulled back. Based on the information we have from Florida, we don't entirely trust all the information that we have. This no longer is a victory for <laughs> Vice President Gore. We're moving it back. Oh, wait a minute. Well, on the anchor desk, we were kind of confused. So we didn't make a lot of it. We just said, well, you know, this election is too close to call. We're not ready to call it. We have to pull back our original call because what was noticed, I understand, in the decision room was that other networks were pulling out of their calls for Al Gore. So when that happened, a lot of people at CNN said, we ought to take a closer look at this. So when they saw that the election was extremely close, they decided we're going to do something we rarely did, pull back the call, cancel it, and say, at the moment, we don't yet have a winner in Florida. It's too close to call. Fullerton, Florida pulled back into the undecided column. Computer and data problem. One of the CBS News election night headlines of the hour. CBS News anchor Dan Rather. This knockdown drag out battle drags on into the night and turn the lights down. The party just got wilder. Florida comes out of the Gore column back up in the air. This doesn't mean that Bush doesn't carry Florida. What it means is big trouble down there with data and computers in Florida. To err is to human. Is human. The decision is certainly based on whatever the decision desk is telling us because they're the ones that are getting all of the information in and they're the ones that are analyzing that information. And so what they're seeing is, you know, a certain number of votes that were in the Gore column, all of a sudden were switched to the Bush column. And the decision desk 
you know, literally there are people there saying, wait a second, we have to analyze these numbers because it doesn't look like Gore's got the votes that we thought he had. We have an earpiece into the control room and they would sit, the statisticians and the head of the political units and the computer geniuses would all sit and be comparing popular vote to the samples of the election projection and the uh, exit interviews that people gave when they left the polling places. And they got more and more uncomfortable. We couldn't see the sausage being made. We could occasionally hear it. But finally, when they say we're pulling back a projection, there's no time to ask them why or do a complete analysis. Uh, they're professionals. That's what they get paid to do. And we had to get that information immediately to viewers all across the country so they knew that this election was not over. We still did not have a president. We will continue our story in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Brian Williams. Welcome back. NBC News anchor Tom Brokaw. Well, the one thing that we have been right on about Florida tonight is that we said it would be a pivotal state. We said that from the beginning. We were awarding it to Gore. Now we pulled it back, saying it's too close to call. It was absolutely a competitive pressure, but nobody would have succumbed to that pressure had the exit polling and the key precincts not indicated that that was a good call. Nobody did it out of ill will or stupidity. They did it out of history and information. Now, one of the things that in a really close race like that, that key precincts and exit polling can't measure at that point is, well, was it an election where the kind of history of voting patterns is the same as it has been in the past? Because everything on your exit poll and your key precincts is based on history. I mean, again, one thing that people often don't understand about polling, that's why polling is mostly good, but not always good and why you always have to pay attention to the margin of error in a poll because every poll has a margin of error. No pollster is saying, this is my prediction for the race. They're always saying, this is my prediction within 3% or within 4%. So if all of that is off by a little bit because of a change of demographics in that state or on that day, then that leads to exit polls that are wrong and precincts that have historically been right that aren't right that night. We always want to believe that our, our polling and our people are the best and are giving us a competitive edge. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to, to have a competitive edge. You know, our goal is to inform the public as best we can. That being said, polling is basically a snapshot at the time you're asking the question. So you're doing a lot of polls at a moment. It's a snapshot in time. Okay, at this time, this is what the poll is. Exit polling is, you know, people literally walking out of the polls and telling you how they voted. 
So that's, you know, that's really crucial. Florida was up for grabs. And as far as the networks and their bleary-eyed viewers were concerned, it stayed that way until 2.30 the next morning. It was in the wee hours of the morning that we were told in our earpieces again that a projection was imminent. And this time it was going to be George W. Bush. And we heard the music and the fanfare and the spinning graphics. And George W. Bush projected the winner of Florida and therefore the next president of the United States. George Bush is the president-elect of the United States. He has won the state of Florida, according to our projections. George Bush, governor of Texas, will become the 43rd president of the United States at 18 minutes past 2 o'clock Eastern time. CNN declares that George Walker Bush has won Florida's 25 electoral votes, and this should put him over the top. I remember turning to Tom and I said, I hope they got it right this time. And he said, wow, they feel comfortable. And this is all during the commercial break. And then we got more phone calls saying, it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I remember one specific moment when someone said in Tom Brokaw's earpiece, and he was seated to my left, and he wrote down 250, and he picked up a piece of paper, and it dropped like a feather. And he said, oh my God, it's down to 251 votes. And I remember leaning down and picking up my board and I said, Tom, Florida, Florida, Florida. Tim's whiteboard was exactly what we needed. You know, we all get enamored, I think, by the high tech glitz and the graphics. But, uh, you know, it was Tim's whiteboard that was the thing. I mean, that was what we needed. He needed to just be able to write it down and show people how close it was and then to see that it was Florida, Florida, Florida. So I think a good lesson in all of this, too, is it's really just comes down to the human level of response and that sometimes we can overproduce. Sometimes it just really surely comes down to the information and telling the story. As the night went on, we realized just what was at stake. And it was a dead, dead serious moment in our political history, and we wanted to get it right. And it happened again. CNN's Jeff Greenfield. We have never, never seen anything like this before. Florida has gone from too close to call to Gore, to too close to call to Bush, to too close to call. This is truly amazing. We were all shell-shocked, because now we've changed our minds twice, and... the feeling was, what the heck is going on here? How do we keep getting this wrong? And how can we stop getting this wrong? And how can we ever get it right? At that point, that involves the president of CNN. That involves every executive in a room going, what did we do and how do we do this? And okay, well, if we're sure that this is now too close to call, yes, we've got to go on the air and apologize and say we were wrong and 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 take medicine that... Still, I think, for sure, viewers haven't gotten over. That is something that helped break trust completely between journalists and their audience. Because you get something of that magnitude wrong. How do you recover from that? I mean, in the moment, you don't have too much recrimination because you're working. And you still have a story to cover. And as we all learned... What kind of a crazy story we still had to cover for, you know, weeks. Everyone was in a state of confusion. I remember there was some line between amusement and anger. 
that uh, we had to do that. We didn't know what was going on. All I remember was people turning to each other off camera and saying, what the hell is going on here? I remember Dan saying something along the lines of, one of these days, somebody's going to have to explain this to me. (laughs) It was like living in an alternative universe. It was crazy. I mean, first we're saying that Gore was the winner. Then we say Bush was the winner. Then we say neither is the winner. And it makes you feel embarrassed. It makes you feel, you know, are we inept? You know, is it us? Or are the numbers just so incredibly tight that, look, this is what it is. And we're reading the numbers and the numbers are so close that they keep changing. It was it was the craziest election night ever. Al Gore, while driving to the auditorium where he was about to concede, reached on a cell phone by some of his advisors saying, don't concede, don't concede. And Bill Daly, his campaign manager, came out and said, Until the recount is concluded and the results of Florida become official, our campaign continues. In Austin, Texas, Bush campaign chairman Don Evans delivered the governor's response. They're still counting. They're still counting. And I'm confident when it's all said and done, we will prevail. We stayed on the air till 6 o'clock. When we signed off at 6, we didn't know who had won the state of Florida. We did not know who won the presidency. And we did not know until five weeks later. Marcy McGinnis of CBS News places partial blame for the debacle on the highly competitive nature of the news business. I think it was um, highly, highly competitive. Everybody wanted to be first. Again, I think that with all of these years past, I would say even though everyone is still very competitive, people are a lot more concerned with getting it right than making sure that they were first. Um, Because it was a big embarrassment for everyone. Veteran NBC News correspondent Carrie Sanders. Why would the same ballots show a total of 79 more votes when they're counted again? The major reason for changing votes is that where someone doesn't clearly punch their ballot correctly and there's a hanging chat in the back, it may read one time as no vote and then a second time as a vote. No election ever has 100% accuracy. None. If there's technology involved, whether it's people hand-counting ballots or it's machines, there's always an error factor. Anybody who understands technology will tell you that. The the goal is to get that error down from, you know, 1% to 0.01%. But what happened with the chads, the hanging chads, the endless discussion of people holding them up to the light and trying to figure it is, You could count that today and you'd have a different final number. Oh, the untold story of that evening was that there were about 4 million votes across the country that were discarded or not counted because they were void or considered to be tainted in some way, shape or form. In fact, there was a higher percentage of ballots thrown out in the state of Illinois than there were in the state of Florida. Also, you have states like Iowa, New Mexico, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Just a very few hundred votes have turned those states and changed the outcome of the presidency. So the scrutiny that Florida received was unfair in a way because there are a lot of other states similarly situated. But you can't 
pick your forums when you're focusing on stories like this. Florida was the closest, and therefore all the scrutiny that came from that and went on for several weeks and all the reforms that have now been initiated are because of the closeness of the vote in Florida. I know it changed the way people use their exit polls. They are much slower these days to make that call. So it has slowed the process down a bit, even with the competition. And, and pollsters have tweaked how they do polling as they do every time around. I think there certainly is more skepticism even within news organizations about polling. So now everybody knows, and, and I'm sure that everyone who's in an election unit is planning how to cover the legal challenges to an election with as much fervor as they are planning how to cover election night. And everyone in the news world understands now that with so many votes coming in through the mail, that the chances of knowing the next morning who the president is, unless it's a blowout one way or the other, were pretty small. Everyone is now planning for weeks of uncertainty and weeks of having to cover this as a legal issue in addition to covering it as a political issue. So that was something that you just didn't think about then. But now it's just a absolute part of your your planning for 26 days bush and gore partisans fought it out in the courts of law and public opinion while the nation received a crash course in constitutional law here again nbc's tim russert lasting memory of the election of 2000 was the final weekend leading up to the ultimate decision and that was on a friday afternoon the florida supreme court said there's going to be a recount. Start counting. And Democrats and Republicans, Gore supporters, Bush supporters, fervent, passionate, angry, obeyed the court and began the recount. Finally, on December 12th, the United States Supreme Court voted five to four to block further recounts. That meant the Florida vote count could stand. And so the Supreme Court handed the presidency to George W. Bush by a margin of 326 votes. And Democrats, Republicans, Gore supporters, Bush supporters, dropped their pens and stopped counting. No matter how angry they were, the rule of law prevailed. As a journalist, I marveled at it. In this seemingly endless legal battle, I remember thinking, holy cow, I hope the Supreme Court just makes a decision that this is over. Not because of any political desire to have George Bush as president or Al Gore as president, just as a person covering this and working these hours and the endless pressure and the getting it wrong and, and the understanding that there really is no way to ever count this correctly at this point, just end it. Just somebody's got to make a decision and we as a country have got to move on. Our technical manager, I remember, stood up at the end of the Supreme Court announcement and said, Beth, we have been on standby for 896 and a half hours. And that was the case, you know, from the time we went off the air and not knowing until the time that we broadcast the, the Supreme Court decision. And we counted after that 896 hours that we had interrupted network programming 95 times until we had, knew who won that election. The next day, Al Gore conceded the election. While I strongly disagree with the court's decision, I accept it 
And tonight, for the sake of our unity as a people and the strength of our democracy, I offer my concession. I also accept my responsibility, which I will discharge unconditionally, to honor the new president-elect and do everything possible to help him bring Americans together in fulfillment of the great vision that our Declaration of Independence defines and that our Constitution affirms and defends. The entire debacle damaged the news media. It also damaged public perception of the Supreme Court, exposing the possibility that some of the justices had their own favorite candidate. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will to the best of my ability. And will to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. And in its final chapter, the solemn ceremony reminded Americans of our time-honored tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. And it marked the end of the longest, closest, and most thoroughly unpredictable presidential election coverage in broadcast history. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, George W. Bush. I'm Brian Williams. For more information about this episode and our series, please visit our website, weinterruptthisbroadcast.org. Now, please listen to this special message from Bill Curtis about the great work of the Broadcasters Foundation of America. Every day, broadcasters bring us the information and entertainment that enriches our lives and often saves lives. It's not only the person on air, it's the producers, engineers, management, sales, marketers, camera operators, and more. For more than 70 years, the Broadcasters Foundation of America, a 501c3 charity, has been a safety net, providing financial assistance to broadcasters and their families in acute need from a debilitating illness, tragic accident, or unthinkable catastrophe. Whether a retired broadcaster who can't afford life-saving medications, a family struggling to make ends meet after a crippling accident or severe damage from a hurricane to the home of a broadcaster in need, the Broadcasters Foundation has always been there to help those in our industry who need it most. Now more than ever, the Broadcasters Foundation is in need of your donations to continue its charitable mission. Please consider a donation today at broadcastersfoundation.org. That's broadcastersfoundation.org. On behalf of all our broadcasters in all areas of our industry, we thank you. <laughs>